Shall we pray? Lord, we pray, come by your Spirit, and we pray that you would speak and that we would have the courage to hear. And Lord, where we hear your challenge, we pray that you would equip us, you would strengthen us, that you would fill us with your hope and with your joy to serve you. And so come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do be seated. Slightly distracted because we have a group of monkeys sitting up at the windows there, which is... It's fine, they're on their way. There we go. So this morning, that key line from our scriptures, which uh, we are so familiar with, aren't we? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So says Jesus to his disciples on that, that day that he preached Sermon on the Mount. And I believe that he continues to say those things, those lines to, to his disciples now in this place. I want to just remind you, and I, you know, I'm, I do this every week, so forgive me, but I just want to remind you of the little series that we're doing, because I think that one week uh, follows the other. There's a logic about it. And I'm very grateful to Rob Jobling for having filled in last week and uh, having given the, the chance for the, the, uh, the leaders of the church to go away and for me not to have to prepare a sermon, so I'm grateful to him. But if you remember the first week in our series, this is a, an epiphany series, so it began uh, some weeks ago now. We, we began with, with the idea that at the heart of everything, in the heart of this increasingly post-truth world that we live in, a post-Christian world, our call as Christians remains, as always, to proclaim something about God, to proclaim a God-centered world, a worldview that places God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the center of everything. That's the lens through which we view the world. The second week, we were reminded of John the Baptist, and that not only do we hold this truth in our, in our mind, who God is, and that it's not we who are on the throne, but it is God who is at the center of everything. Not only do we know that in our minds, but we have a call that has been entrusted to us to be witnesses to it. Behold, this is the truth. Behold, this is God. Behold, this is the center of the world. The third week, as Jesus called his disciples, I hope that we were reminded that, yes, we are called to be witnesses, but the best possible way to be a witness is, in fact, to be part of Jesus' body, the church. That is God's primary plan, to share the good news, to share the truth, to proclaim it is through his church. And so we're not alone. We are part of a body that has been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the things that God has called us to do, to make fishers of all people. This morning, we move on. This morning, we are challenged by those words, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. What those words say to me, we so often focus in, and I will in a moment or two, what it means. We've all heard dozens and dozens, I guess, of sermons on various meanings of salt and, and light. But I think maybe our starting point needs to be that Jesus says not you are salt and you are light, 
but he connects those two images. You are salt of the earth, and you are light of the world. You see, our vision as Christians is not just the small, but in fact, we have been called onto the larger stage. The message that we have is not just for ourselves gathered within this room, but our message is for the world. Nothing short. We are sent to the ends of the earth, and we are called to shine the light to the entire world. And so I want us again to be reminded, without necessarily getting bogged down, of this world in which we live. I quite often take a moment here at the pulpit to remind us of the, of the things that are going on in the world, because I think it's really important that if we are called to be missionaries to this world, missionaries to this community, then we need to understand the world in which we live, in which we work, and in which we, we testify. You know, maybe this, this week, maybe the things that have been most heavily on, on our minds, maybe it's the coronavirus. Uh, the uh, little headline that I received overnight was that the death toll has now exceeded 805, which means that this outbreak now exceeds the, the SARS virus back in 2003 as far as deaths, and it doesn't look as though the end is in sight yet. So what we have is a, is a serious epidemic. I was quite surprised. I, I take it in my stride, and I think probably more people have died of just the ordinary flu in these last two weeks than, than uh, coronavirus. But my wife said to me, you know, I'm, I'm quite concerned about this. And I guess once you have children or you have people that you know who are vulnerable in some way, I suppose these things do begin to weigh on, on one's mind. So there's something that, that threatens the world. I'm a bit of an anorak. You know what that means? I, I watch trains and planes and things. And I, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're, we're on the flight path here to, to King Shaka. Haven't seen an SAA flight for a good two weeks now. SAA has disappeared as far as Durban is concerned from the, from the arrivals and departures notices. As much as we might want to hide from the kind of things that are going on in our country, you know, every night, so it seems, or every day, Eskom reaches into our family lives and reminds us of corruption and of incompetence that unfortunately has plagued our country. And as much as we want to put the blinkers on and we want to say, well, it's not going to affect me, it does. It does. If you're a business or whether you want to cook your supper on time or whether you have little children, we are reminded constantly of the world in which we live, and it can have its challenges. And if you think the challenges are limited to, to the public sector, to government, well, no. This North Coast's dominated now for a century more by the sugar industry is in a mess. I hope none of you hold Tongat Hewlett shares, because you will be significantly less well off after this last week. What about here in Kwadukuza? This last week, uh, they released uh, the Auditor General's report about our local municipality. I'm going to read to you one or two of the key things from that. It shows uh, that there is a, has been, over this last year, a 20% increase in irregular expenditure. 
from 141 million to 169 million for the 2018-2019 financial year. Now that's scandalous enough. But the other figure, which is later follows on, is that there's a capital budget of 236 million, and only 86 million of that was spent last year. 37%. Now what that means is that because our budget is not being spent, and that which is being spent is spent irregularly, but what it means is that we have potholes in our roads. We have inferior housing for those who are the poorest of the poor. We have a, a lack of inspectors to go and inspect Thompson's tidal pool where poachers are stealing our valuable heritage. We have inadequate service delivery because of incompetence in our midst and nobody is, does anything about it. We vote for the same people over and over and over again. It makes me furious, and so I, I cancel my newspaper, and then I re-enlist, and, and so on. I try to hide. But you see, the point is that we shouldn't. You are salt of the earth. You are light to the world. You see, Jesus, God, has a solution to the issues of our world. And I'm sorry to say it, it's you. You are the answer. You are the salt and the light. We cannot afford to not read our newspapers and to not engage with our local municipality, to pretend that we are somehow insulated by, by what we have, no, we are called to do something about it. We are the salt and we are the light. I don't want to dwell too much on, on these things, but it has always been that the church and God's people have been called to make a difference. And there is the heart of the imagery around salt and light, which I will unpack in a, in a moment really briefly. But both salt and light make a difference. Salt flavors and a whole bunch of other things. Light shines into the darkness. You cannot mistake salt and light. Our beautiful reading from, uh, from Isaiah this morning has God via the prophet Isaiah speaking to his people all of those years ago. And he says to them, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? In other words, is this not the kind of religious practice that I want you to engage in? to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, and it goes on. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And then Isaiah beautifully, poetically, describes that when we get that right, when we begin to do those basic things, provide for the needs of those that we encounter, then God begins to hear our prayers. Then we begin to see change. Then we begin to see revival. Then we begin to see good things, new things, because God will do it. But it begins with his people responding to his heart, his heart for those who have less than we do. That's what it means to be salt and light.
And if you think that this is only part of the, the Old Testament, then I perhaps need to remind you of the context in which these lines on the salt and the light come. They, become, they come really quite near the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And in uh, Matthew's version of, of, that, of that sermon, he's introduced Jesus in the early chapters of, of his gospel, and then begins this chunk of teaching as people gather together. First it's the leaders, and, and gradually the crowd grows, and Jesus has gathered on the mount. And the idea that we meant to, to immediately imagine is that Matthew is saying, here is Jesus who is a new Moses. He's on the mount, and he's declaring to his people a new law. The old law is fulfilled in Jesus. Here is the new law of love. And Jesus begins to speak challenging words. Turn the other cheek. Walk the extra mile. Give to people not just your shirt if they ask for it, or not just your jacket, but your shirt also. Etc., etc., etc. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed, etc., etc. It turns everything upside down. And it's in that context, as Jesus says, This will be the law of my people. This is the law of those who follow me. That love is the new law, sacrificial love that reaches out, that bends over backwards. This is the law. And he says, behold, you are salt and you are light. You see, the encouraging thing for me, certainly, is that we're not encouraged to be the salt and the light one day when we get it right. We're not called to strive to be the salt and the light. Jesus makes a declaration. He says, you are the salt and the light. With all your failings and with all your flaws, certainly in my case, and all the ways in which I get it wrong, that doesn't change the fact that we are who we are in Jesus Christ. That if we give our lives to Jesus, if we are determined to follow in his footsteps as his disciples, then we are new creations. We are salt. We are light. And the encouragement is for us to simply be who we have been made to be. To simply live the lives to which we are called. It should be the easiest thing in the world. Especially as we are equipped from within by the Holy Spirit. Let me very briefly, and I promise I will be brief, is to, is to unpack what salt and light is. Because that gives us a clue to the kind of lifestyles that maybe we are called to live. Maybe some of us are called to do things differently. You know, some of those amazingly useful qualities of salt. It preserves. And maybe that would have been the primary association, as Jesus said it, that salt was a preservative. It was the way in which food could be made to last in an environment of no fridges. We as Christians are called to play a role in preserving that which is good. But salt flavors. It cleanses. Sometimes it brings a little bit of a sting to a wound, but it cleanses. Sometimes our voices are called to bring a little bit of a sting to our community as we declare what the truth is, as we sometimes show a mirror 
to our community and to each other and the things that go wrong. Sometimes that's not popular. It stings in the wound. But our words bring cleansing, bring new life, bring healing. Salt is valuable. You know the old saying, uh, you've heard it before, somebody who's worth their salt. The soldiers of the empire used to be paid in salt, so valuable. And then maybe an association which is perhaps pushing it slightly, but, but salt makes one thirsty. You have too much salt. Living our lives, I hope, can encourage a thirst around us, a thirst for the water that only God can provide. What about light? Light, too, has many wonderful qualities. It reveals that which is hidden. It makes us safer. It means that a light shining at our feet means that we can, we can avoid the obstacles in our way. Light brings comfort. My sons still insist on, on sleeping with the light on because it brings them comfort to know that they can see. And I guess, the, again, the most beautiful image that I can imagine is light as a, as a lighthouse. Maybe that was not what Jesus had in mind, but it's, it's a beautiful thought that the light of God, the truth of God, guides people to home port, guides them home, keeps them off the rocks and the dangers. The light helps us to recognize friend from foe. It reveals bad deeds for what they are and good deeds for what they are. In the light, we see color, we see beauty, we see creativity. And so we are called to be salt, and we are called to be light. I believe that to be salty means that we are called to act. Salt cannot have an influence unless it is part of the mix. A bag of salt sitting beside your, beside your pot is going to make no difference to it at all. Won't preserve it, won't flavor it, won't do anything to it. Salt needs to be in the mix. And that's our calling as Christians, to be involved. Where we see the need for us to make sure that our voice is there, our presence is there, that the resources that we bring is brought to bear on the needs around us. Light, I believe, as we read those scriptures, is, is something that we're called to proclaim. And that's the connection, I believe, through to the series, that while we're called to do deeds and to be involved in things, the deeds don't bring us salvation, but we are called to proclaim the truth of the one who does bring us salvation. We're called to proclaim, and it's in the light of who Jesus is and who God is and his desires for our world that our deeds are seen for what they are, as an opportunity to point to God and to bring glory to him. Let me read to you the lines from our scripture again. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The light allows people to see the truth that they might then respond to the good deeds that we do and recognize the God who stands behind the things that we do 
and the things that we say. I want to wrap up by asking and challenging all of us this week as we go from this place. And uh, I remind you regularly that the church is leaving the building. It's a great prophetic statement on the back wall of our church that really what, what is meaningful is not what we absorb into our heads this morning, if anything, but it is how we put our faith and our trust in Jesus into practice in every minute of our days. My challenge, uh, uh, it might sound simple, but we all know that it's inc incredibly challenging, uh, complex, is what can you do this week to be salt and to be light? What can you do? Maybe something incredibly small, maybe something profound, something new, something that you've always done, but you do with a, with a, new, with a new intention that can make a difference that can bring saltiness back to something that has lost its saltiness. You see, the dangers, and the only danger that is mentioned in Scripture, is that we can lose our saltiness. Salt is a stable compound. It doesn't change. But what it can be is diluted. It can be, sometimes uh, its purity can be compromised by other compounds that perhaps added to it, or dirt, or whatever it might be. We have to make sure that as the salt, um, our actions are not diluted. I could say more, but I, I won't. In this last week, I was uh, in the privilege of going away on our leadership weekend. I was so encouraged again to hear some of the stories because there are many wonderful things that are already happening, wonderful things that you are involved in, which is bringing salt and light to our community. And I want, to, I want to just talk about one thing. I don't think she's here, but our church warden, uh, Carol Church, was just mentioning that she was driving along one day. She drove past Tiffany's, and she noticed that with the new traffic lights and all the rest of it and the chaos that that has brought, that the, the man who walks the children across the road is doing so right in the middle of the taxi rank, right where the taxis are ducking through the traffic light and speeding through, there he is trying to control the children crossing the road. It, it is a potentially disastrous situation. And so Carol went to the, to the man with, uh, with, the, with the jacket and said, why don't you take the children across where the lights are? So when the light is red, then you can cross in relative safety. No, says the man, that's not what I've been told to do. I only do what I'm told to do. So for most of us, <clears throat> we probably would have given up at that point, and we would have waited for the news headline to say that a child had been knocked over by a taxi. But not for Carol Church. Carol Church says no, and she goes to the principal of the school, and she says, you need to tell your man that he needs to stand next to the lights. No, says the principal, I can't, uh, I can't engage with this. I am far too busy. Uh, two weeks' time is the earliest time that I can come down and, and look at the road with you. And Carol Church says, no, I'm picking you up in five minutes. We're going to go and look at the situation right now, which she did. And bless her, the principal went. She changed her mind. She gave instructions to the, to the man. And the children now, or certainly last time I looked, are crossing at the traffic lights. That, friends, is salt and light. It's seeing the issue, something small, 
but something significant, certainly to a, to a parent whose child is, is harmed and to the child, hasn't been put off, has done something relatively easy in actual fact, and has made a difference. This is the week, and there are lots of other examples from our beautiful community uh, as well. This is a week in which we, we all indulge, or well, some of us, um, indulge in Valentine's Day. The 15th of February is on its way. And we get lost in the commercialism of it. We get lost in the schmaltz of it uh, and, and all the rest of it. In this week of Valentine's Day, may I challenge you to do something that will share the love of Jesus Christ. Something small, something significant, something profound. Maybe it's visiting somebody who needs you. Maybe it's simply engaging with your cashier and uh, saying something encouraging. Maybe it's a, a smile or a greeting to somebody who's, who's strange and uh, foreign or new to our community. You get the idea. You are the salt and you are the light. You have been made profoundly and specially. You are God's masterpiece and he has prepared things in advance for you to do. Let's go out into the world and turn the world upside down for him. Amen.